In your service folder, as well as on your screen, you are going to see two questions uh, that are going to help uh, give you a little bit of structure, at least to our sermon, um, and some things to listen for, as well as they're going to help prepare you uh, just for this week's small group meetings. If you haven't already joined a small group, you are certainly welcome to do so yet, uh, or you still can certainly do that. Uh, You can go to our website, just scroll down on the main page, you'll see it under Grow. Uh, But a great opportunity for you to dig into God's Word a little bit more, perhaps get a little bit more out of uh, your worship as you read and study and, and uh, dig into God's So between your reading of Job 1 through 7 over the last week, uh, the time you may have spent in your small group, as well as last week's uh, sermon looking at Job chapter 1 for sure, you were at least exposed to all the things that Job went through in the first two chapters, maybe two or three times. And even if you didn't, and you are just simply going from memories of what you've read in the past, you know that Job 1 and 2 are a difficult week, say, for for Job and his family, huh? You have Job lose everything. You can see the emotional pain and, and spiritual pain that that loss brings to Job and his wife as they experience all of that loss. It's one in which you look and you go, even now, reading it some 4,000 years later, you, you still have a, a sense of pain and anguish for Job, even though Job is, has been in heaven for quite a while. As we walk with Job through that experience that he has through the 42 chapters of his book, it gives us the opportunity to not only see the things that Job learned about himself and about God, but it gives us an opportunity to take those things that Job learned and that God teaches us through the book of Job and apply them to our own situations. And perhaps no more, no more, nowhere is that more clear that when it comes to our relationships. Job had a whole number of relationships that we see in Job 1 and 2. Right first with his, his, his kids and his wife, and then later we're going to look at some of the relationships he had with his friends. That comes up next week. But relationships in which a whole bunch of pain was introduced. And as we see how Job responds to not only that pain, but how he deals with that pain in the context of those relationships, it's going to help you and I address the pain that might be all too common and all too familiar in the relationships that you and I have in life. And it's going to give us an opportunity to to understand and know how God wants us to deal with relationship pain. But first, let's look at at Job. In Job chapter 1, we have God pictured Job in quite a way. We see Job as a a very godly example of of what it means to be a a Christian father, a Christian husband, a a Christian leader. Right? In in Job chapter 1, we read, His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. 
When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. You already begin to see just the, the, the setting in which, or the, the, the family that Job spent time building, huh? So by, by the time Job's children are older, they treasure the relationships they have in their family so much, it is a regular custom for them to get together for birthdays and, and, and other family get-togethers, right? I suppose today you can imagine family reunions or those, those parties you have with your family where you're playing cornhole, right? Playing games, having fun, enjoying one another's company. That just doesn't happen, does it? You can see the type of family that Job and his wife built just simply by looking at the relationship their kids expressed towards one another. Their family was close. Their family enjoyed being together. And then we see Job. Right? Job is an older parent now. His kids have moved out. He, he sees those family get-togethers, and you can imagine the joy and excitement that he has in his heart over a family that is close and loving. And at the same time, as a father says, maybe my children have sinned. Perhaps my children have done something and cursed God in their heart. So what does he do? He goes and he offers sacrifices for his children. Right? He, he's, he's praying to God for his children. And it wasn't just once or twice after he may have heard about something that happened maybe at one of these gatherings, but this was his regular custom. In other words, this wasn't something Job just decided to do after his kids moved out. This was something that Job did for his kids as they were growing up. Job's kids experienced a father who, who understood and talked with them about their faith, about their relationship with God, about how sin hampers and destroys that relationship they have with God, but how God had given them a promise of a Savior who was going to come and fix all of that. Right? Job just didn't emphasize the, the personal relationships they had with each other, but Job had a much bigger picture in mind. He saw the importance of their spiritual relationship. And so it was his regular custom to model his faith in what he did by sacrificing for his children, taking their concerns to their heavenly Father in prayer, to serve as an excellent example of what it means to be a godly husband, a godly spouse, a godly father, a child of God. But as we see in the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, Job was walking a rather unpredictable path, wasn't he? He didn't expect everything that was going to happen. And it seems as though in an instant, everything was taken away from him. Possessions, income, his kids, pain, very quickly and very suddenly introduced into Job's, into Job's life, 
into the relationship that he had with his spouse. And it wasn't just his possessions and his kids. Look at what happens then in chapter 2. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Not only does Job have to deal with the the emotional pain of losing everything and having his family ripped apart and taken from him, but he also has to deal now with physical pain. Right? As as Satan afflicts him with a, a disease that puts sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head, And then his wife lashes out in her. Remember, she had experienced all the same pain in her own way that Job did and and lashes out and tells Job to just curse God and die. Job is dealing with all sorts of pain, huh? Emotional, physical, spiritual, and now even pain in the closest of his relationships. My guess that isn't all too unfamiliar to you. We all experience pain in our relationships, don't we? Sometimes it's, it's simply surprised, or it's something that simply surprises us, much like it did in Job's world. Right, where Job wasn't expecting these things suddenly to happen and all of a sudden a whole lot of pain is introduced into Job's life, my guess is sometimes that's how pain enters our life and our relationships. Completely unexpected, enough that knocks us off our feet, takes the breath out of our lungs, and we're left sort of just standing there going, what in the world just happened? And having to deal with all sorts of pain. And other times, that pain is just all too familiar because it's just seemingly been a part of our life. And what happens all too often is that people who are hurt and suffering and in pain end up hurting people. Hurt people hurt people. Whether it's because, like what I imagine in Job's wife's life going on where she loses all of her children, she sees everything ripped away from her husband, and that emotional and and, and just the, the pain of all of that goes on in her life and in her heart, and in a moment lashes out and says something that she may not truly believe. Man, for all the times that I've experienced pain in my life, pain nothing like what Job has experienced. But pain that has hurt, and as a result, that pain comes out in my own words and actions, 
and hurts those around me? My guess is it's happened in your life that I don't think I'm that, that odd of a duck where it's only happened to me in my life. That, that someone hurts you, whether at, at work or at home or at school, and that pain kind of sits in, your, in the back of your head or really affects your heart. And just in a moment, that pain comes pouring out and all too often against people that, I, that are most close. And it's stuff that in a moment you regret, that in the next morning you wake up and you wish you could have all of it back. But hurt people hurt people, don't they? We've experienced it in our own lives, but it wasn't just Job's wife that was lashing out, but, but Satan was at work there, right? Because remember back in chapter 1, the whole goal Satan had in bringing all of this into, into Job's life was that Satan was convinced that because of how richly God had blessed Job, if, if Satan were to take all of it away, he said, Job is going to curse you to your face, God. And look how, look how Job's wife plays right into Satan's hand, huh? Are you still maintaining your integrity, Job? Curse God and die. In the moment Job needs support and understanding and encouragement, what comes out of Job's spouse's mouth is hurt. And Satan uses that to his, adva- to his advantage as he attacks Job and his faith. Any time an ungodly word, attitude, action, right? Anytime selfishness and anger and, and pain comes gushing out of our mouth, guess who's behind that? Satan. Anytime we express an ungodly attitude or action, that's Satan working against us and our relationship. Anytime we practice an ungodly attitude or action, we bring Satan's influence into our relationship. But even that really shouldn't surprise us a great deal. Because we have a sinful nature. A sinful nature that the devil exploits to his his benefit as often as he can. And if hurt people hurt people, from the moment we were conceived, we've been pained with sin. Right? You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and see how Adam and Eve rebelled against God and introduced into their life, into the lives of their children, all the way down to you and me, a, a sinful nature that wants not only nothing to do with God, but each and every time it expresses anger and hurt and a lack of patience and unkind words and an unloving attitude. It pains God. Right? That isn't what God wants for his children. It's not how God wants his, his children to, to express themselves. It not only angers God, it, 
it pains God. Because what that sin does is it drives not only a, a wedge between us and the people we hurt here on earth, but Isaiah says that same sin separates us from our God. In other words, sin drives a wedge in our relationship between me and my heavenly Father. And we'd have to understand if God finally just shook his head, threw up his hands, and walked away. Because if we hurt the people we love most of all, just think of how often we introduce pain into our relationship with our Heavenly Father. But God doesn't walk away. In fact, He does the exact opposite. He walks to us. He steps down off of His throne in heaven and He comes to earth to walk among us. He he comes to earth and experiences relationships with human beings. He has parents. He has friends. He has disciples. And in all of those relationships, Jesus would have experienced the same relationship pain that you and I experience. Disappointment, frustration, hurt. Right? His friends, his parents, his disciples all would have sinned against Jesus just as his parents, disciples, and friends all sinned against the other people that they had relationships with. He knows and he understands that pain that you are going through because he's experienced it. And then he does the most unbelievable thing. He goes to a cross, and while there he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you understand what Jesus is saying? What Jesus is undergoing and experiencing on the cross? The sin that that you and I commit and do all so, so often in our lives drives a wedge between us and God, right? As Jesus is there on the cross, he takes all of that sin and allows it to drive a wedge between him and his heavenly Father. He separates himself from God because of our sin and is abandoned by God so that he could restore your relationship with your Heavenly Father. As Jesus is there on the cross, he is enduring hell itself, being separated from his Heavenly Father and his Father's love for him. And he does it because of sin. Not his own sin, but your sin and mine. Jesus is separated from his heavenly Father and endures that separation for all the times that we've been hurt and we've hurt the people around us. For all the times we've been selfish and lashed out in anger, and said words and did things that a child of God really shouldn't do. Jesus takes all of that on himself 
and is abandoned by God because of it, so that he could look at you and say, you're forgiven. All that pain and guilt that you've brought into your life and into those relationships with those that are closest to you, it's gone. I've paid for it all. Right? In his great love and mercy, God comes and he washes away our sin and takes away all of that guilt and restores us in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He reconciles us to God. So that relationship that was once driven apart because of sin has been brought together so that our Heavenly Father can look at each one of you and say, you are my child, and because you are my child, you can call me your Father. So that our Savior Jesus can look at each one of you and say, you are my brothers and sisters. And in our Savior we can see a brother. A brother who gave himself for us and died and rose so that we could be in and a part of God's family. And look at the effect that had on Job. Job may not have known Jesus' name, but he knew the promises that God had given to him about the Savior that would come. Right? Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end I will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. Job had such a confidence and such a trust in those promises of God that even when all of this pain was dumped on Job, even when he was experiencing the pain of emotional and spiritual and pain in his relationships, he's able to cut his wife some slack and lovingly and gently respond to her, should we accept from God only good? but not also pain and suffering? Right? It's why at the end of chapter 1, as he responds to all of the stuff that's going on in his life, he says, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. The name of the Lord be praised. Job had his, his eyes focused on those promises that God had given to him. And as a result, even when all this pain came into his life, Job did not sin in what he said to his wife and in how he handled all the pain. In fact, he gives us an example of what it looks like for a child of God and how we respond to pain in our life, huh? It means as we see and experience and understand all that our Savior has done for us, the love and mercy he has shown to me in in forgiving my sin and in restoring my relationship, it gives me the opportunity to show that same love and mercy to others. It means I get to respond with a gospel-driven faith that shows itself in actions. For example, it might mean that you and I Cut the people in our relationships a little bit of slack. Because you and I may not know exactly the pain that they are going through, the hurt that they're suffering. And because of that, I'm going to strive to take their words and their actions in the kindest possible way 
to be as patient and loving and kind to them as I can because I don't know what they're going through or what they've experienced today. It means as, as you and I go through life, we can seek to follow Job's example in, in how he dealt with his family relationships, right? As parents, it might mean that, that you and I take the time to pray for our children each and every day, to teach them and take them to their Savior, to show them with our lives what it means to be a child of God, because child of God by saying, this is what's first and foremost in life. And I'm going to show that because I'm, I'm here in church every week. I'm going to my small group and studying God's word with my fellow believers. It means I take advantage of the opportunities God gives for me to, to sit down with my kids and read out of a Bible storybook. It might mean as a spouse that you, you pray for your spouse each and every day, that God would be with them and bless them and protect them. And then you pray that you would be a better spouse to them. It might mean as grandparents that you keep your grandkids in your prayers. And you take opportunities to give them a godly example. It might mean if you're single that you, or a, a, a kid that you pray for your parents or your best friends who have kids. It means that as children of God, we seek to live like Job did. Where Job expressed his faith in everything he did and in every aspect of his life. For Job, faith was not just another thing on a long list of priorities. For Job, his faith and his relationship with his God was right up at the top. And it showed itself in how he interacted with his family. And then it showed itself how he responded when pain was introduced into his relationships. It means, as children of God, that we keep in mind that the most important thing in our family's life aren't the physical blessings we have, It isn't the opportunities we might give to our kids to play sports or to increase their education or to go to the best college so that they can get a great job. The most important thing in our life and the most important thing in their life is their relationship with their Savior. Because when they have that and you make it a priority in your life, it begins to help you respond to all the pain that comes in life. It means that his cross, that Jesus' cross and his empty tomb are a reminder of of God's proof of his love for you and his love and his power to work in the lives of those people that you have lips with. Amen. And the peace of God, which goes beyond our understanding, will guard and will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.